What's up, what's up, what's up? How you doing, how you doing? Um, coming at you from uh, a little bit of study, a little bit of time in the Word. I had the idea to share with uh, you brothers and sisters some of um, what I've been gathering and studying and reading the Scripture and also just putting together um, some words that the Lord showed me. Um, and I guess I'll preface it with saying, you know, I was recently praying with some friends and praying about um, just some things, you know, with our families, things we're seeing in the churches, and, um, you know, prior to the, you know, even praying with these brothers that I prayed with, I was given a word from a mentor of mine that, um, to some degree, we were um, going to be operating in a new paradigm of uh, understanding ourselves to be coming out of Egypt. Now, a lot of the times you guys have heard me talking about coming out of Babylon, coming away from Babylon, and some of you might not know um, or might you might not understand, but there are um, some systems of doing government, systems of doing uh, waging war, systems of um, you know, getting people assimilated, as in, you know, when in olden days countries would take over countries and they would uh, go about assimilating them into their culture. A uh, little background to Egyptian culture, it's uh, tied to Babylonian culture, and in fact, one of the uh, first rulers of Egypt was uh, Babylonian, had Babylonian roots or ties. Um, their religion, very closely related, um, their religions, I guess, their pagan worship, if you will, uh, the ways that they saw gods, um, their gods, the way that they venerated them, honored, honored them, the way that they did sacrifices and did rituals, some of those involving witchcraft, uh, sacrifice of people, uh, honoring to, you know, to, to false gods, all that stuff, um, real entities real you know real spiritual power that they're being you know interacting with these cultures in Egypt in particular um, they honored a water god which was you know seen to have you know shapeshifted into a crocodile at some point in time is what their you know their folklore says and they've some someone saw it somewhere right um, it's not hard to believe if we go back to Genesis 6 and understand the Nephilim and the heroes of old and some of those beings and entities that people have encountered. The things that C.S. Lewis and, you know, uh, Tolkien, those guys, those things that they reference in those their books, their fantasy worlds, some of those things are real. Needless to say, Egypt is one of those fabled places where um, they have a pantheon of gods and uh, a lot of different things uh, they believe about them. One of them is that there was a water god who they would sometimes... Um, uh, sacrifice to honor venerate and um, you know th there was a way that that God communicated with them and uh, sometimes they would send uh, you know people they thought they thought might have favor kids of officials priests whatever and send them into the water you know and say look if this kid comes back and isn't eaten by a crocodile or whatever then something is special about him he's passed the test the water God has accepted him um, and you notice in the book of Exodus, we, uh, which is where I've 
been studying. Um, just a little part, a little snippet is uh, when the attendants are, you know, with the the princess, they're on the edge of the water. They're on the edge of the water because they're there making sure crocodiles don't eat the princess, right? They come across Moses and they see him and they say, oh my gosh, you know, surely something special about this boy. There's a background to them wanting to pick the kid out of the water. They didn't just pick him up out of the water because she was barren and wanted a baby. I think she might have been barren, right? Or something was going on, but, or she just wanted a baby to play with, right? But no, more importantly, I think something was connected with Moses and their culture and the way they saw people and babies and and their water gods and their sacrifice and all that stuff so moses his name is egyptian um and in hebrew it's moshe but in egypt it's moses and moses you know essentially means out of the water um this this makes sense to me or all this is making sense to me or shaping up to be um a word from the Lord for me, but also maybe a word for the Lord for from the Lord for the churches. Now I've been talking about just being freed from systems, but I believe that there's some sort of archetype um, that I'll have to undig and and you know just get into um, as it pertains to uh, the plagues, uh, the things that God did for the people, um, even when they were out of Egypt, the things that they wish you know they wish they had, the things that were. Um, done it as a result what the, what was the solution that god brought right you know and manna for instance or, or sandals and clothes that wouldn't wear out just certain things you know um a time of jubilee right they were freed from their captors their debts were, were repaid um they were sent out of egypt with almost all the gold um those are things that make sense to me um and um in some weird way and I, i'm wanting to uncover uh, what the Lord is saying. I believe the Lord is saying to some degree, and I saw this in an image when I was praying with those guys, was that people were leaving their passport cards at the, the door, at the gate of Egypt. And um, I saw almost like a ballot box or some sort of big ticket raffle box, just passports, passports of Egypt. Um, people were leaving their passports to Egypt and just turning and going into the wilderness, going towards the spacious place that the Lord has been providing for us in this season. Um, this makes sense also in light of another vision I had recently where I saw a table being prepared by Jesus. Um, and I saw the table, you know, being prepared with golden things, cups, glasses, jars, uh, plates, silverware even. And my friends were there too in the spirit room. I saw them and they looked down at the table, you know, and they saw fire coming and they saw fire and food being provided i saw it too and what the lord was showing me was that there was a time coming where the holy spirit wanted to provide everything the fire and the food the harvest you know because i saw as the fire and food came down the table there was grapes and just lots of food to kind of nourish us but then we were supposed to take what we were nourished with and then share it with um those we've come in contact with to, to to live out an incarnational lifestyle, um, be purposed to evangelize, uh, to care about people, to have a servant heart towards people, wherever it might be. So if it, it, it entails sharing the gospel, then so be it. But also it's important um, to realize that a part of the gospel is us being in relationship um, with people who need um, Jesus in their life.
in that moment, in that season, that we were put there, placed there, purposed there. Um, we have already been equipped to be there in that moment, to be a part of the move of God for somebody to um, basically be the encounter they were looking for in some way, shape, or form, or to at least facilitate the encounter. Um, in those moments, you know, in those moments where you're talking to people and you share with them the love of God, da, 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 they might not come to Jesus. But one thing the Lord has put on my heart is that we um, also need to be having spaces built and created that can then uh, harbor a move of God, meaning people need somewhere to fellowship. They need somewhere to go. They need safe spaces to grow, learn about the Lord. And um, the Lord's put on my heart to help people reimagine what it looks like to be in discipleship, what it looks like to even have a company of people understanding what their mandate is, who they are, what they're supposed to be doing, what their purpose for. Um, in light of all this, I, I thought to myself, well, if we're being led out of Egypt, what are we being led into? You know, and there's been a lot of discussion and, you know, my own studies, um, you know, finishing up seminary, uh, one class in particular is talking about discipleship and small group ministries and how cell groups were um, and have been a way where other churches have been multiplying. Um, and they've been multiplying because there's been some key areas where um, the needs of people have been met. And there are, you know, there's simply, there's fellowship, there's worship, there's study, there's engagement with the scripture, and then there's growth, there's spiritual growth, Christian growth, spiritual maturity, emotional maturity. Um, there's places where people can engage them, you know, uh, with other people that have, that are seasoned discipleship groups, small groups, cell groups, um, whatever you call them, they're typically open, so people can come and just, you know, f uh, whatever, they're new believers, new converts, they're the person that you just talked to at the gas station about Jesus, you know, they say, where do you meet for church, you know, you know, we, we meet for church, but how about you just come by um, for a little, uh, a little home group, a little small group, we do a little Bible study, you know, we start off with food, we hang out, um, we might, you know, have a little icebreaker, some questions might be thrown out and then we pray for one another and we hear each other's problems and our struggles and we, we encourage one another and we ask Jesus to help us see what the, you know what solution you know might be had or um, how we can partner um, with him and his angels um, to you know help facilitate healing and deliverance those are things that happen in small groups those are things that should be happening anyways in our churches and they should be happening in our small groups uh, there's a component I've noticed that's been missing, and the component obviously is the the direction um, for a home group or the the vision for a home group. What are we here for? You know, if 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 you come to a small group, most mostly now in Western churches, the small groups are engineered uh, towards the equipping of saints so that they can multiply. They are engineered so that people uh, can feel settled, they can learn about God, but uh, they can they can have relationships that they can uh, feel safe in for uh, their lifetime at the church or whatever time they're at the church. Um, those are important things. And, you know, I, I didn't, you know, in thinking about all this, you know, I was said to myself, you know, we have to change how we see church. You know, we have to change how we see each other. But there's no way that we do that without being able to learn from one another um, especially um, in in the ways of prayer, um, 
to help and I think also in the ways of our identity our identity formation has has been hijacked I think we've forgotten who we are and we are um, sort of missing the purpose and point of us being here Um, so with that said I did outline um, some things that I thought would help us escape Egypt Uh, this is a working document and you know I'll be praying over it and reworking it and talking about it with friends you know but to some degree um, we to do this to pull this off to start having churches that are saying okay this is what we're doing this is how we're going to do it this is who we're going to be and this is how we're going to get there you know it's um it's a total buy-in from the leaders and something that i'm studying and looking through in exodus you know especially in exodus 18 and 19 there were prescriptions for how god's people were going to interact with him um, how they're going to interact with each other, how they were going to start divvying out responsibilities, and um, and how the leaders were going to start, you know, being um, in charge of of, of leading people, um, you know, towards God or in the direction God was taking His people, and um, it's a it's a task um, that I believe requires uh, first off leaders to buy into, and. That, you know, that I, I think is the biggest obstacle is coming to people with a slightly new interpretation, a slightly new understanding of what's going on, the signs and the times, and saying, look, these are things that we have to get back to, or these are things we have to do. To most people, that's a regression, you know, if you, if you think about what it is we're called to do. You know, what we're, especially in this, this season, I believe we're rebuilding the walls. We're equipping the saints for building the kingdom, and we're helping leaders reimagine the world they live in. Without the leaders understanding this, then the people that they're leading won't understand it. I believe there has to be some more, some some sort of manifestation um, that occurs to where people notice uh, what's going on, and then um, also we share what's going on. We share as leaders. We 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 go through this sort of sacrificial time of repurposing ourselves re-equipping ourselves understanding our purpose and then from there we can get uh, strategy you know i believe even now it's more about um for for a true revival for a true change and restoration i don't think it's about just getting everybody together and praying more um i don't think it's those are good things i don't think it's just about getting together and just worshiping more or you know i'm you know, pushing in, in my for my in my churches to have longer periods of worship time, right? That's like it's like a simple ask. You know, that's what I uh, imagine for uh, us as something that be a catalyst and something that could be very positive. That's the tip of the iceberg, because even still, we can have those moments and still go back to our homes and go back to our lives and um, and forget about what God had given us, right? Um, meaning, I think there's something inherently. Uh, off about our identity as we see ourselves and if we knew what we were and who we were and what we were here for I don't think we would not take ourselves seriously or stop to you know stop thinking that you know we're here for a read-through like we we go through these motions we, we even do these really nice things but you know what are we doing these things for you know um, and, and, and to what end you know so in looking at the leadership, you know, I, I wanted to do, uh, you know, if I could one of these days, 
you know, I feel like part of my mandate is to help churches rebuild their walls, you know, and I think the walls of the church are the people that are sort of the framework, the scaffolding, as a brother would say, um, you know, that the people that lead a church, the leaders there, the elders, they kind of point um, towards um, a vision of what God has given his people. Uh, in fact, if, if you look at our churches now, there's not much of a vision towards anything new. It's really um, you know, more of the same. You know, how do we create this group for these people? How do we do this thing for these people, you know? And if you, if you think about it, it's a flip side of, of, okay, what are you doing, God? You know, and now, I mean, I believe soon... I might be experiencing it, and maybe some others might be too. We're going to be in a place where God's going to be doing things, and we had no say in it. You know, he did, He's not going to consult us anymore. I don't believe, and and if He does, He's it's going to be like, look, this is what I'm doing. Do you want to be a part of it? If not, let's you, come on, get on for the ride. If not, I, I got a company of people that'll do that. You know, you're not the only one. You know, but hey, if you don't want to jump on, then fine. You don't want to move with God, that's fine. There, another church right down the street will will take it. They'll take the overflow. You know, you want a little overflow? Fine. But don't you want the real thing? You know, that comes from a heart that's engaged. That comes from hearts that are engaged and a company of people that are engaged. And, um, you know, not everybody wants to look at um, the world we live in the way I do. You know, people just want to go to work, make money, uh, raise up a good family, all that stuff. I get it, you know. But even at the end of the day, for those people... I still believe they need to know what's going on because they, they, I believe we need to be building a legacy for our next generation, not just getting through this and saying, hey, if you want to get through your time, then do these things, right, and fit in with the world. It's different. It's different. It's, it's deeper than that. We can't get away with that anymore because the world is taking um, more than what we've bargained for. And so to build up these spaces we have to build up the leaders to become those spaces if that makes any sense so um, they must be freed from shackles of systems that create barriers between them and the Lord they must um, understand their place under the heavens understand their truest function on the earth which are two different things right because we are not of this earth you know what I'm saying we're from a different kingdom and so we operate differently you know and essentially, at the end of the day, it's just to unlock um, these algorithms that were created as a virus in our personal lives and also the things we see before us. Um, what that means, I believe, is there's um, there's a spiritual component to every opposition we face as a church, in, 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 in even specifically in each community, right? It's different in Hollywood than it is in Charlottesville, Virginia. Um, and there's different things that come against the people that are living in that community, right? They, they could be social and social uh, unrest social injustice whatever it might be we don't experience that here too much in Charlottesville as you know it's different than what people think you know those things that happened to us in Charlottesville uh, recently you look google it you know uh, terrorists in Charlottesville whatever all that stuff is just drummed up media around um, but uh, to be honest though there still is something there that's insidious and you know we battle with intellectualism and uh, racism and um, non-diversity all that stuff um, I, I believe these things come out of our churches once the leaders start to reframe their thinking reframe their minds and reframe their hearts 
And so there's a module that I've sort of kind of thought about and it goes in, it's in four major sections, I believe, um, four or five major sections that'll help leaders uh, be equipped to then equip, right? And so it starts with soil tilling. Um, I'm just going right down on my notes. Uh, my post is somewhere. Soil tilling, cultivating the imagination of the believer. Yeah, so you bring to light the fullness of our identity in Christ, our mandate before Christ and what is operating. And we are to be manifesting some measure of that. So we bring to the conversation the possibilities of our truest capabilities. Like, who are we? What, are we cap what can we really do, right? What did Jesus do? You know, homeboy walked through walls. Uh, obviously, he rose from the dead. He's walking around on earth for, what, 40 days or something like that. Um, and then he's gone, right? And after, after that, we have Pentecost. And people are operating in what Jesus did in Acts and in the New Testament all throughout. What he did, they did. They healed people. They uh, healed the sick. They fed the orphans. They fed the widows. Um, they baptized people in his name. Um, and like Philip, he baptized the Ethiopian eunuch. And then weird stuff would happen. Like you'd be taken to another place by the Holy Spirit, just up and gone. You know, those are things that happen when you're a priest, a prophet, and a king. And so um, it's, a un it's a shadow of what's coming, which is sonship. And I believe those priest, prophet, king, those, those, those are archetypes that show us who Jesus is or what he was about and how we're supposed to operate in him and through him because he's in us and we're in him. So we're supposedly supposed to be doing what he did. But also it comes from a different place of operation. It's not just here on the earth. It's also in the spirit realm. Right, and how do we connect with that? I believe we connect with that with um, a truer understanding of sonship. Right, so we we have a place in the heavenlies. We have a place. We have a throne, and we have access to the throne room. Right, it's not just like a like a nice thing we can think of. He we he gives us access there, and on top of that, he gives us access everywhere, because he says everything that's his is given to us. Right, we have the kingdom. Um, next on the list is modest monastic meditation um which uh is an invitation to emmanuel encounters um encountering jesus encountering the holy spirit encountering yahweh a monastic meditation lifestyle kingdom lifestyle of prayer um i believe helps believers see the kingdom manifested through their prayers um, helps them connect with Jesus in the spirit realm and helps people gain understanding of an ascension lifestyle, right? So, you know, little background is most of the saints, the first five centuries especially, they um, would practice the presence of God, um, like Brother Lawrence or Francis of Sisi or Teresa of Avila or a lot of other brothers. And they operate in such a high degree of, of oneness in the Lord. Um, we have these stories that are passed down in Christendom that I believe are stories for us that get us charged up to remember what it was. Almost as if, you know, we can remember what it was like to be in the garden. Or almost as if the Israelites, they remember, okay, this is who we were. You know, the God of Abraham, God of Jacob, God of, you know, whatever. Um, those are things that we remember. I think we're supposed to remember, reimagine, re and remind ourselves of what we're really capable of. Um, I think some of that comes when you when you go into these uh, meditative states um, of uh, coupling with the Holy Spirit, going to the spirit realm, um, like so many did, in, even in Acts, right? Uh, Paul, I don't know if I was in the third heaven or not, right? 
um, you get insight from the Holy Spirit about your hindrances, uh, your own places needing healing, uh, you untether from fears, negative emotions, and you receive kingdom strategy. A part of that strategy is understanding the love of God, understanding the completeness that comes if, um, per se, you find yourself by streams of living water, or in a garden, or um, at a table with Yeshua, or in the throne room, you feel complete. You feel like you lack nothing. And when you operate in these these higher places, um, you come above the second room. You come above the world's atmospheres and their problems and, and the things of the day. And you come out of your own fears and you start to see yourself as Jesus sees you, right? If you've been given access and if you're loved by the Father, then truly his heart for everything you see then becomes your heart. And I believe that's a big key strategy for us um, as we start to cultivate leaders that want to be equipped completely, but also freed and untethered completely. I believe for us to operate in these next seasons of a kingdom lifestyle, we have to untether um, and remove blockages that keep us tied down to world systems, uh, thoughts, paradigms about ourselves, um, apathy even, and just some of the things, honestly, that um, create the smoke screens for us. Um, you know, that takes us into, um, you know, I mentioned earlier discipleship into incar incarnational kingdom living. That's simply, again, just reshaping the dynamics of the leaderships of houses. I think for this to work, I think for leaders to show other leaders, especially small group leaders, how to do this, um, we have to start in our homes. You know, we have to reapproach the paradigms and say, okay, what does this look like? Um, am, I, am I functioning as a priest in my home? Am I, like, at least trying to understand my kids? Am I at least trying to say, okay, God, like, what is it that... I can pray for my wife like those are things you do in a church and so why not do these in the homes right now I know we do that I know a lot of brothers and sisters do that but I think the problem is that we do it out of duty and we do it from a sense of saying let's make our lives and existences better here on earth the problem with that is that we leave something in the tank or for instance we're playing um, a different type of ball game you know than what's actually been played out we're functioning here on the earth when actually we were called to function from the heavens and then into the earth. So the point of it is this. We're equipping and we're praying for and we're discipling people, but unto what? Right? The word that came for me, I think, a couple of days ago was, if we don't start with our identity, even as children and new believers even, if we don't understand, if we don't understand ourselves to be from the garden or from heaven, and let's get to heaven, and let's, let's get to God, and let's see God, then we're, we're lost already. Because what happens typically is we say, let's, let's see how close we can be to success, how close we, how much we can conquer the earth, how much we can amass, how much we can um, look holy, have a righteous lifestyle that looks like something you know how much can we gain here before we have to go up you know let's see what we can do here and then we'll have to go and do our fun up there too right no i think we're supposed to be we're meant for a heaven lifestyle heavenly lifestyle we come from an eternal place we're meant for eternal um dealings walking out of life uh, operation to such a degree to where you know 
if we are garden dwellers and if we've you know if we can remember what the garden looks like then we're supposed to be taking that with us you know a piece of us is left there and a piece of us is left here at all times if we really completely understand that we're in jesus and he's in us um so it's just a little bit of a, a different engagement with the mind. I think what you believe in, what you have faith in, you can manifest that, I believe. And I think some of that has to, some, to some degree, it's a little shift in where we start out with. So even with new believers, you know, we bring them through linear discipleship and we say to them, look, this, if you do these things, you can be like this. You can have a healthy family, um, save your money, you know, you're good with it, tie 10% because that's what God likes. And then if you do all these things, then you can amass this type of lifestyle. And then also on top of that, if you do all this right, we might make you an elder in the church. We might give you some sort of um, something to do, you know. But, you know, the problem is, is people wanting something to do right away. If you notice, most believers, when they come to Christ, they're fired up and they want to change the world, you know. But we cap them off and we give them a list of things to attain things to do rather if you look at incarnational discipleship you say look you have a job to do right now okay we're going to get you equipped for, in six months to do what is called you were called to do okay and after that it's up to you and the holy spirit to do the rest because you've got a calling and a purpose but you have to start now right the next the next component i believe is really important is understanding the signs and the times almost like the sons of issachar we have to examine the sacred cows we need to eradicate in our church systems, right? There are little things that happen everywhere that we've just done. We don't even know why we do it, right? Why do we do it in our Baptist churches? Why do we have a role, right? I think we had a role because people want to know um, who really was part of our church and what people were doing and if they were praying and if they were in a small group, right? That comes from the John Wesley area. John Wesley, um, they led a revival many years ago, and they were so... Uh, stuck on, they wanted to say everybody in discipleship groups, and they grew and they multiplied um, to, to numbers unseen even today um, in such a way because of the fact that people needed connection they wanted relationship, they wanted fellowship and they wanted to grow in the Lord and um, John Wesley was a part of instituting small groups in America and over in England too and what we see there is a hunger for people to meet with the Lord and a hunger um, to meet the Lord in the spaces he wants to invade, right? So to be a, a catalyst, to be a part of that. We see that. Why did it fall apart? I think some of it has to do with trying to recreate the systems that work, which is natural. But then uh, staying with the systems that work, um, but not realizing that those systems were created for time, for space. And so uh, even business plans, big businesses, they, uh, they go through overhauls, they redo uh, the CEO structures, they fire people, you know, they redo, reshuffle their boards. If they don't, they don't stay cutting edge and fresh. Um, it doesn't happen all the time, um, but it's a good idea to do. Um, anyways, understanding the true nature of our spiritual battle and its effects on our Christian culture. Um, that's sort of going into just examining the systems that are at play and their effect on our own culture. It's the same thing um, as the sacred cows. I, I think ultimately we have to know what this battle's about. Okay, if we come to this battle, this fight with a knife and the enemy's got guns, we're losing, right? But if we come 
with quantum cannons and bazookas and swords from another dimension. And these things are running around talking about it's the end times or these things are, you know, coming around talking about, you know, you got to be afraid of COVID. I'm going to say, you know what? You know, I went to the heavens and I saw that this is all a ruse. And now that I know what you really are, I'm going to tell everybody else about you. You're a lie and you're a fraud and you come from the pit of hell. Whatever, de- whatever demon or devil you encounter, right? And I don't even have to deal with you because Jesus is going to take you where you need to go. That's a little bit of spiritual warfare right there. But it's aimed and directed. It's not all over the place. You know, you, whatever the Lord gives you to pray against, you go there. You know what I'm saying? You hit that. But what I'm saying is, is we don't see it. We don't understand our own strategy. We don't understand what's going on. We're lost. And we're just talking about the things that we're seeing on the news. And we're talking about the same thing that the newscasters are saying. They call it a news program for a reason, right? It's programming. We've been programmed. Now, if you understand all these things, these major areas, I believe, the leaders are needing to be equipped in, um, then we can actually start to create some change. If we understand how to get in with the Holy Spirit, see ourselves as He sees us, get into deep meditative spaces, right? where the Holy Spirit can reach us. And then tilling, tilling the land, tilling our imag- the imagination of the believer, tilling the imagination of what it looks like to look like, to look like, talk like, be like Christ, right? To operate in that sonship and take those archetypes of a priest, prophet, and king, because those, those are archetypes provided for us to kind of, it lays down the blueprint, right? Obviously, the biggest, uh, the largest snapshot of it is just being a son, right? You sit on your throne, you see what God's doing, you act on it, right? You operate in it, whether it's in the heavens or on the earth, right? Sonship allows us to come to a perspective that sees us as in the worlds, the ages, and the cosmos, right? Because the kingdom contains it all. So essentially, um, this is why we do this. I think that a generation needs a company of believers to help lead a people away from systems that have been keeping us locked into a cycle of ineptitude. So we've settled for less than what Jesus promised us in John 10.10. Our leaders are shackled by the fear of losing what's been built in a previous season. And our people are wandering in the wilderness alone. They've already left Egypt in their hearts, and we need blueprints to make the jump into a new spacious place provided by Yahweh. So I'm essentially saying I believe the Lord's going to, we're going to jump. We're going to do a speed jump through the wilderness. So I think times are moving so fastly, so fast, and I think... Uh, jubilees needed like yesterday um things are going to change real fast for us so the heart of a leader that can help lead the exodus first must understand their identity as a priest in the home a king over a territory space and a prophet they can divide rightly the will of the lord in many different situations these are attributes we should already have cultivated however understanding our time and a deep seated connection to our systems have kept us tethered to ways of thinking that are detrimental to a more complete understanding of our task in this pivotal time in human history we will see a great revival, but we'll be a part of a move of God, or will we simply be there to catch the overflow? There's a multi-pronged approach the Lord has revealed to me that entails equipping leaders through discipleship, not just for belonging for the process of facilitating a space for theological discussion, but rather a training ground to go out and evangelize, be a part of community restoration efforts, and more importantly, change the atmospheres and systems we've been called to. I think to properly understand our callings, giftings, and mandates, a fresh look at a timeless tradition must be instituted, taught, and practiced by those who want to truly bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. We need to understand the mechanics of practicing the presence of God, 
understanding the truth for our union with the Holy Spirit, Yahweh and Yeshua. Meditative prayer and going deeper in the spirit realms is where we will understand in greater detail what the Father has to say to us regarding our strategies for our communities, the emotional barriers we might have, or the besetting sins that have an anchor in a traumatic area of our past. The emotional one being our leaders and our families and the subsequent healing and deliverance from what the Lord shows us in the spirit realm will help us navigate the areas of life we need freedom from. We must go into the throne room or wherever the Holy Spirit leads us and move toward not only healing our families but those who are in our communities. Contemplative prayer, meditation with the Holy Spirit are keys to unlocking some of the mental and spiritual devices that have kept us at bay. Our emotional ecosystems have stunted our spiritual growth and maturity as well as our emotional maturity. Along with the inner soul cleansing our minds, we must be renewed, renewed and reminded of the truth we face. There are two kingdoms and one is infiltrated the other in some ways. We have not seen the world we live in with the proper perspective, and as a result, we have allowed some of the world to tamper with our identity, our mission, and our overall vision of why we are purposed to be churches and serve our communities. We are ambassadors of another kingdom that encapsulates the world we interact with. So I surmise, you know, there's probably about six or seven systems, maybe more, subsystems that affect the way the world operates. So every human interacts with education, politics, business, finance, entertainment, religion, and healthcare. In some ways, we've made allowances for certain practices in the church and also certain paradigms that get in the way of people seeing the gospel clearly, which leads to apathy or ignorance. There are crafty schemes at work that have kept us in Egypt for far too long. As it pertains to religion, we have settled for an experience and not an encounter. We have created spaces for belonging human-based relationship in exchange for a passion that fills the creation of spaces that invite the Holy Spirit and to do His restorative work. So we must craft our messages to help rebuild the imagination of the believer in an impossible possible. Seeing the world transformed must be cemented in our hearts. So in short, I think it's a duty of this present generation to equip the next generation for an incarnational lifestyle that puts the way of Jesus before form, function, and preference. The people must be given these same tools to operate in their homes as priests, in their meetings as a prophet, and in their spheres as a king. Jesus must permeate through them and into their surroundings. This means that people have to be prepared to become garden dwellers again, and people that are connected to the heart of God and meet with God frequently to further restore the systems that are called to People of the garden, people of the kingdom, carries presence, carries wisdom, bring into the kingdom, order everything and everyone they encounter. Through our oneness, people can then have an encounter. The cultivated heart of a new leader in this new time will be revived, refreshed, and connected to the heartbeat of God. There remains no apathy in these atmospheres, and instead we have a comfort of people that are open to any move of the spirit and up to any task, their minds and hearts engaged in an internal process. Man, thank you guys so much. Um, you know, it's just a little snippet. Um, you know, I've got some study to do. I've got some praying, some pondering. And I'm sure God wants to reveal, you know, many things to me. So, um, in the meantime, um, just thank you guys. Thank Jesus for you guys. Um, I thank, thank you, God, that you've provided these platforms for people to revelate and reveal what you've put in on their hearts. Lord, I pray that whoever listens to this would be encouraged, would be um, engaged in a deeper way, and would see what you're doing in their life and how they can impact the world and share with people um, a new kingdom, a new way, a new paradigm, a new life. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.